we get started with the show. And now it is time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And on the line, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? There's so much to talk about. I almost don't know where to start. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we do talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say, so we take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout out? I have three shout outs. It's a lot. First, I want to shout out for General Milley, who had the courage to go on to speak to the world the day after he made, right after he made the mistake of walking with DDT over to the church, that it was a mistake, that he shouldn't have done it, warning that uh, military had to stay out of politics inviting the wrath of DDT, but he did it. Want to shout out for Judge Jason Wynn, James Wynn Jr., Fourth Circuit Judge, who has published an op-ed in the Washington Post addressed to the Supreme Court telling them that they made a big mistake in creating the qualified immunity rule and they need to ditch it. And last... And also as a segue of something I want to talk about first, Taylor Swift, who is from Tennessee, spoke out against the existence of statues of Edward Cormack and Bedford Forrest in the Tennessee Capitol because they were symbols of slavery and black oppression. And she's been joined by Reese Witherspoon and Kelsey Ballerini, folks speaking out about it, which segues statues. There's a whole lot going on with statues. Nancy Pelosi wants to get rid of 11 statues in the Capitol. Of, and I understand Jefferson Jefferson got knocked over in Portland last night. That's the one I want to talk about, Pop. And, and yet... And, and what, we'll talk about that and the University of Oregon, folks kicking over the statues of of uh, the pioneers and, and uh, I think we need to talk about that is really that okay but at what point at what point do we recognize that there are some folks like Jefferson and like Washington and like Madison who might still deserve some recognition for what we what America I'm interested in what our listeners think, because I'm still trying to process this. Uh, again, the line is 971-220-5979, 971-220-5979. Where do we think the smart line is? There's some options for the line is about whether somebody should remain historically venerated, whether a statute should stand or not stand. And this is a real-time question that matters. Does that mean that a name of a high school, we have uh, we have James Madison High School and we have Thomas Jefferson High School in our town. Uh, does that mean names need to be changed? Does that mean statues need to be taken down? Uh, for me, there is one question that's not hard, right? The Confederate flag, that's not hard. That's an easy question. That, that, that thing ought to be never anywhere. The, a Confederate soldier, no matter what other wonderful things they did, this country should not venerate them. They were not only traitors to the country, not only racist, but also traitors to the country. Uh, not only slave owners, but fighting hard 
to keep the arc of history from bending towards justice. Uh, and, and by the way, well, I just want to mention here something that is really encouraging to me. In just the last several days, media folks have been using the word traitor and using the word treason to talk about what the South did. And that's just that's something that's 100 years overdue. And in Oregon, I think part of the dynamic is we have, you know, we always lead the league in protests, right? And and but we don't have any Confederate statues to over to take, you know, to topple that I know of. So, you know, what do we have? Well, we've got at University of Oregon we have the pioneer and the pioneer mother. And there, the argument is different. There is different from traitorism. There is the argument against colonialism. Is is about occupying now something that. Uh, that white people took great benefit from by taking over land that previously was uh, occupied by native peoples. And the and and that when you're taking down the pioneer statues, that's what that's about. It's also that much of the uh, or at least some of the pioneer ethos was they'd even give it in speeches. And this was one of the arguments against the pioneer statue in Oregon was about. Uh, growing the influence of the Anglo-Saxon race, right? So it was built in part of the part of the manifest destiny uh, rationale was built in uh, it, it sort of growing the ambit of a racial group. The other, uh, and then of course the argument with Thomas Jefferson is that he owned slaves, and so I am curious about where we think is the most sensible line. To draw to say, okay, the any this amount of historical sin is allowed to still be able to be uh, applauded in the public square. Well, not you know, not having all of your acts applauded, but having your your best acts applauded versus no, no. He, uh, if you've done this much, you don't get a statue, you don't get stuff named after you at all. I think that's a really important question, uh, and I'm glad it's not only people of my generation or frankly your generation who are who are having that conversation. I think that's a really important conversation for us to have. Yes, it is. And it is, it is something that I hope folks will weigh in on. Uh, and should I change my name? Honestly, that's what I've been thinking over the last couple of days. Is, is that like but, my, but name is, my, name. my name is my name is a I know you I know you got you got your ego into it as well, as do I. But my name is a living monument to the guy whose statue just got got taken down. But what 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 we need to recognize when we're talking about Washington and Jefferson and Madison and and shoot, I don't know what percent, but a substantial percentage of those who were present when the Declaration of Independence was signed and those who were present when the Constitution was promulgated owned slaves. And what we need to recognize is that for the previous seven, 6,000 years at least of human history, slavery was taken as an okay given. That where where a country one country overcame another country or one tribe overcame another tribe, it was just assumed that you could put people into slavery. That was it was just a given. And the something that could be really really noticed was how how they treated their slaves. I I am right this minute halfway through a book called The Complete Madison, which sets forth all of the the writings of Madison. On uh, political and social subjects, and he was he was amazing, and it we we just have to have to accept that that was that was a wart that they had, but the the uh, 
but I still I, I still think that we need to be really really glad that George Washington existed and that Thomas Jefferson existed and that James Madison existed and that they joined with others to decide they didn't want to be British citizens anymore and to create the United States of America, which for all its warts and all its sins is still, in my judgment, the best that's come along so far. It is. We got a text. in. Uh, here's a good one. Jefferson has had his day. They've all had their day. Their day is over. Uh, and that's a totally legitimate sentiment. The, the, the line, uh, if I had been pressed... And it ain't up to me, but the line, the the, uh, the line I had drawn in my own brain, it's a fuzzy line to be clear, was if the person in their lifetime, in my judgment, was on the with the bulk of their most important acts on the side of justice, on the side of bending the arc of history towards justice, when the convert, if if we apply not merely applying the morals of today. But applying the morals of their era, were they working to make the world better in their day? Uh, and and so that's how I differentiate very starkly, for instance, between Thomas Jefferson and Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis was trying to tear the country asunder for the purpose of ensconcing slavery for another century. Uh, Thomas Jefferson's greatest acts were trying to foment a union built in democracy rather than monarchy. So I count him on the right side of history in that regard. But I do not, of course, endorse all the crap that any of those, any person who's ever been venerated as a hero, and, and of course it does. Here's another thought to me, is that I do want to have more monuments to benevolent community. I think we do have uh, vastly too much in our culture. Uh, veneration of, I use that word a bunch of times, too much lionization, too much focus on hero mythology, on that the, that the great man will save us. Uh, the example I use in modern times is Steve Jobs, and the Steve Jobs example I have uh, that, that I like to use is that Steve Jobs at the outset was opposed to the iPhone. He is now viewed as the inventor of the iPhone. He wasn't even in favor at the outset. That our successes to such a great degree tend to be cooperative, collaborative, community successes, and we build statues to dead white men. And I do think that having a reimagining of how we, of, of what we celebrate in our country in, in a direction of celebrating community and democracy as, uh, as, a, uh, as something that we, uh, as the thing we venerate and lionize as distinct from just hero worship, I do think that's a, that's a key thing. I got another text. Slavery isn't okay given today. Yeah, I, I, I don't think slavery was okay. I mean, I went and researched the beginning of the abolitionist movement. The abolitionist movement didn't start as far as I can tell until 1830. 1820, though, was the Missouri Compromise. Uh, and so when the moral discussion around this was really, uh, really joined, I, you know, I, I am not the historical expert. But at this point, all I will do is applaud the conversation, appreciate the activism, and, and still try to wrestle with what to do and, frankly, figure out what to do with my own darn first name. Uh, Dad, the I want to get to another topic, though, and I do want to start with these local topics. Did you catch, I want to do a hard switch. So last Thursday, was it Thursday? I think it was Thursday. Uh, the city council voted to what would have a few months ago seemed like enormously significant police reform. Getting rid of three police units, 
and turning over money to an alternative mechanism for uh, turning over some money to test out the Portland street response, which is a different way of dealing with first response calls. You'd get un an unarmed person called for certain uh, call to the scene for certain kinds of calls. Uh, that ended up being a three to one vote to enact the emergency clause. Chloe Udaly ended up voting no. And then right after Chloe Udaly voted no, Joanne Hardesty hit her pretty hard and, and accused her of performative allyship, saying she had done the work, she knew this was the right move, and the fact that Chloe Udaly tried to outflank her on the left was not a cool thing to do. I, I, have, I have at least some, uh, some sausage-making or some, I call it sausage-making speculation to offer. But what was your reaction when you saw that city council vote and what was your reaction when you saw the back and forth, shall we call it, between Chloe and Joanne? <laughs> well, to begin with, I, uh, I do not pretend to have much insight into what goes on behind Chloe Daly's eyes and between her ears. Uh, if she was somebody else, I might say that this was a, just a political thing that she was, she's in an election, she wants to appear as the banner carrier for protesters, and she, she's saying it doesn't go far enough, and therefore I'm going to vote against it. But uh, it may be that that's what she really believes, and she, of course, does not have a, a great record of... of um, working working well with those around her so 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 but uh, it 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 of course was merely symbolic because either tomorrow or the next day there's going to be another vote and three votes will be enough the i want to give a few thoughts although you didn't ask but i'm just going to pretend that you asked me questions uh, by the way, I got another, got another text. Change your name to Jefferson or Jeberson. That came from my friend Liam. Hello, friend Liam. Uh, he's at Jefferson was J-E-V-E-R-S-I-N or Jeberson, J-E-B-E-R-S-O-N. All right. So, so as to legitimize what you were about to say, I would like to say, what, what is your opinion about what's going on? <laughs> Thanks, for your, Thanks for your curiosity, Bob. I always appreciate it. Uh, there are a few things. So one, I think there's a number of factors that I find interesting. I'm going to say three. First, that is the rapidly changing debate as a function of time, that it is dizzying, that even in my own brain, even in my own heart, and I can only imagine what it's like for somebody sitting in the city council right now, the ambit of what is felt morally necessary overlapping with the ambit of what has felt possible has just rapidly shifted in three weeks that getting rid of one unit shifting two million dollars of the police budget would have seemed like a pretty courageous challenging thing to do that would have been hard to get three votes for by the time it happened recognizing it's just a couple few percent of the police budget it wasn't all that. It, it, it ends up seeming compared to what they're trying to do in Minneapolis. In San Francisco, what they did is they're shifting all mental health calls away from uh, police officers the, and, and shifting them to another, you know, some other kind of agency. That it has felt pretty darn modest. And I think that for Joanne Hardesty, and now some of my attention does shift to the state, uh, 
And I imagine uh, our friend Senator Lou Frederick, who has been beating his head against the wall of police reform with some success over 10 years. He's, he's introduced 59 bills since 2010. And he's, I don't know how many, passed a few, maybe several. And the, uh, and the bill that he's pushing now is an arbitration bill that would take away from an arbitrator the ability to remove police discipline. It, which, it, which, by the way, to give you an idea of the sea change that has happened, is being supported by the Oregon District Attorneys Association, the Oregon Chief of Police Association, the Oregon Sheriff's Association, all of whom are telling the governor she should call a special session to get that sucker done now. And what's something they all realize is that that is the smaller thing, because that isn't about funding for public safety. That isn't about overall even use of force standards. That's not about chokeholds. It's not about any number of things that it could be about. It is not fundamental transformation. And that will still be a fight, right? The, the fire department, or rather the, the police union, has enlisted their alliance with the fire association uh, in order to try to block that arbitration change. And they're going to try to get the support of other public labor unions. They're working right now on trying to get SEIU and other public labor to get in cahoots with them. We will find out more about how that dynamic plays something, out. Something that and I'm just going to say, I'm speaking now for myself, I am not speaking for X-Ray, but I'm saying to my friends at SAIU and AFSCME and, and AFL-CIO, we need to recognize that the police union has become an oppressive force trying to impose its will so that it can enable its officers to escape responsibility for bad conduct and they need to recognize that and to say that we support your right to organize to protect the legitimate rights of employees but we do not support you in your knee-jerk support for bad conduct by your members i said i offered three thoughts so the first thought was about the dizzying change in the political landscape. And just to connect that with Lou, Lou is being looked to right now in the state Senate to be the leader of what happens in the state Senate about police reform. And now advocates are like, hey, wait a minute. Should we have something more than just a bill in arbitration? Should we have an omnibus police reform package that we get done? Should we do something bolder? I know that seemed bold two years ago, but right now it doesn't seem nearly the same in terms of boldness, shall we say. So that's the first. The second, this is part of the political dynamic uh, that if you're Joanna Hardesty, her power base, her power base has been as the leader on a set of issues. Like, really, she is through her being the head of the, of the Portland NAACP, which had not been prior to her leadership, a particularly well-funded or large uh, organization in our town, the chapter here. I remember Skipper Osborne, who was, who was our friend back in the bus project day, I mean, the NAACP in Portland compared to the NAACP in some other towns. So it was a more humble enterprise. Uh, and that's no knock. The but Joanne, through leading that, leading uh, Oregon Action before uh, before she got set aside there, and and that ended up getting swallowed by another uh, with Unite Oregon. Uh, that the through that leadership there, and then through getting elected, the city council has been the leader uh, in the city on issues of police reform. The person, I mean, heck, if I was gonna if I was gonna try to gauge, just speaking personally, if I was being even both dil either diligent or lazy. And I said, who should I ask about the best approach 
what's actually in the realm, uh, what overlaps between moral priority and political doability. Who would I ask? Joanne Hart to see who I ask, right? And that'd be true for a lot of people. And the risk, though, is with stuff changes, with, with, with stuff changing, with the uh, realm of the, with the Overton window, shall we say, shifting so much in just three weeks, there it, with Chloe Daly voting no, it puts Joanne Hardesty at risk of, oh, wait a minute, maybe I am not at the vanguard anymore. Maybe I am now, uh, may, maybe I'm now a suit. Maybe I am now a person in power as distinct from an activist. And that get, and, and what's interesting to me, and there were some online shatters, well, wait a minute, why is there more anger at Chloe Udaly, who listened to the, what, 700 people who signed up to testify? I mean, just a historic amount of testimony and said, okay, they want more than a 3% change. They want something bigger than that. Uh, and is it strange that Chloe Udaly did that? Or is it strange that Joanne Hardesty had her plan that wasn't didn't go as far as all the people testifying were asking for. Uh, that's my second thought. And my third, and this is the political sausage-making speculation part. What's happening now, I was talking to somebody, actually somebody well-placed within the city government, who's, who was asking me, Jeff, what is your impression of what's happening with uh, Joanne Hardesty and Ted Wheeler? Where it feels at times that Joanne Hardesty is doing the bidding of Ted Wheeler, and sometimes it feels that at times Ted Wheeler is doing the bidding of Joanne Hardesty. Uh, here is my best speculation. And it was taught to me by Ron Buell, the guy who started the Willamette Week newspaper, and prior to that was in city government. Uh, he, he now has, um, well, I'll set that aside. The And he said, Jeff, we do not have a weak mayor form of government. Occasionally you will hear that we have a weak mayor form of government. That is not true. We have a commission form of government. What you have to do to be able to run the government is you need three votes. In order to have three votes, it starts with two. And therefore, the way you really run this city, if you're the mayor, and you can really run this city if you are the mayor, is you need one friend. You need one person who is allied with you, who you have signed in blood, you will help each other's priorities. And if you know that, and if you do that, and if other city councilors sort of get that impression, then if you have an initiative, and you talk to your ally and say, hey, here are my priority initiatives, and therefore, now here are our priority initiatives. And with your one friend, they'll have some initiatives, too, that'll end up on that priority list. They don't have to be written down as such, of course. And then let's take one of the initiatives. And you go down the hall to another city councilor. There's three left. And you say, hey, here's a priority initiative. I'm hoping you will be with me on it. And they have a couple of choices. They can say yes or they can say no. If they say no, they understand that they have potentially incurred the wrath of the mayor who is the person who divvies up the commission assignments and whose vote they might need for one of their initiatives and who has more influence over the budgetary process than any other single city councilor and and they know that they may incur the wrath of the mayor's good friend and ally whose vote they also might need for some initiative of theirs later but here's the other thing they know is if they say no, there are two other city councilors that the mayor and the mayor's buddy can go down the other hall and go to another city councilor's office and say, hey, here's my priority initiative. I hope that you will vote alongside us for that and that person will have that same analysis. And with that, you can always find your third vote. I think what it seems to me now, and this is, it's happened rapidly, 
And it's happened rapidly because of Nick Fish's death. And Nick Fish and Ted Wheeler had, I think, something approaching that kind of relationship. Uh, that now I think Joanne Hardesty and Ted Wheeler, if they have not yet signed in blood, if they have not yet married, they have at least, you know, uh, they, have, they have at least shaken hands. <laughs> and I think that is much of what's going on. And, and I think some of that is, and, and one can critique that or one can uh, compliment it, that uh, that Joanne Hardesty was, was critiqued as she was running. Well, will she really be a, a real politic kind of person? Will she be someone who moves and shakes or will she just be a bomb thrower? And with Ted Wheeler, it's like, well, you know, went to Lincoln High School. Uh, you know, he's, a, he's, he's sort of of the manor born, uh, maybe the, one of the richest mayors we've ever had. And they can see their, uh, they can see the significant political benefit of that particular alliance, even if it's not signed in blood, they can see the uh, that that there are meaningful political benefits to that relationship uh, that could also inert, you know, could also come to the benefit of the good of the order, depending on the quality of their initiatives. So anyway, those are my those are my thoughts. I'm going to call them speculations on their best day. They might be almost insights that I offer to whomever. Uh, might find them useful. But, Dad, any response to that, or do you want to move on to the next story? I want to move on, and uh, I'd I like to just briefly touch on COVID stuff and on protest stuff. Fire away. International stuff. COVID, over 100 workers at, at the Pacific sea, Seafood in Newport tested positive, and Lincoln County is facing possibly being overwhelmed, 50,000 people in that county, and with trying to trace trace over 100 people who they've contacted with, pretty, pretty scary. There's, there's an admission that at this moment we still don't know how good the tests are for COVID-19, not just the tests for whether or not you have antibodies, but a test as to whether or not you have the virus. There's just so much that we do not know. Europe is is starting to open up, and what is that going to is that going to produce another wave? Who knows? Just so much going on. Cascade Athletic Club here, Mark Eisen Eisen Zimmer, the owner of Cascade Athletic Club, says. He's opening up. He doesn't care what the governor says. Well, people go there and get infected and then sue him. That's something to watch. Just just so much going on with that, so much to talk about, and there's almost nothing to talk about. Well, what's next? If you, Protest. I, I, will, I will say something. You ask me a question. Otherwise, keep going. Okay, protests. Seattle. Seattle has a history of protests. It's one of the most protest-subject uh, cities in America. But what I'm wondering, and I would be interested in your thoughts, as to what is the end game going to be for the folks who have created the autonomous zone, the CHAZ, uh, in Capitol Hill? What What is going to be the excuse they have to go back home? A, a big rainstorm that lasts, or what? What are your thoughts? No idea. I find the autonomous zone thing fascinating, and I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth. So, for, and I'm going to, you know, first I will criticize the criticizers. I do find it somewhat ironical, somewhat contradictical, 
that those who with their loudest voices are decrying an autonomous zone tend to be the same people who cheer loudly or chant themselves about some false conception of freedom. That if you do in fact define freedom as your principal political value, if the only thing you mean is that you can buy a gun without registering it at a sporting goods store, if the only thing you mean is that a large corporation can own as much as it possibly wants with the least amount of regulation or taxation. You might want to rethink your definition of freedom because freedom might mean something more like an autonomous zone. Here's my other concern. I am worried. I, I continue to be worried. And right now, mostly what I want to be is inspired now to encourage the uh, I want to encourage the work to uh, engage this time in history, which is such an amazing and important time in history. And I will say, because you asked, I do want to uh, advocate for a movement that sets an example of how we want the world to be and a politically smart movement, one that, yes, is willing to challenge orthodoxies. If it's not willing to challenge orthodoxies, it's not much of a movement. It's not much of a protest at all. But one also that is considering what people who aren't on your side would rather you do or not do. And very often what someone who's not on your side wants you to do is overreach, is do something that will not look good in the court of public opinion. Right, and gives uh, them an excuse to reinstall oppression. And I am not the, and I do not need to sit in the chair of defining which those things are going to be. And I hesitate to do that because I don't want to make that a, mildly self-fulfilling or self-defeating prophecy. But there, there are some easy things, in my judgment. There are some easy things when, when, you, when you break windows of stores that really are, are not oppressive, when you loot, when you set fire to places and, and destroy people's livelihood, that, that's, that's on the wrong side of the line. But when, when you peacefully set up a zone where we are going to show how people can live together happily. That's a closer question. Because here's, I think, the, the, the two most significant social reform agents of the 20th century, I would argue, were uh, Mohandas Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, and Martin Luther King Jr. If somebody else wants to give me somebody that's in that league, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to do a sports magazine ranking. Uh, and if you want to text somebody, I, I forget. Gandhi. I didn't give. I, I didn't hear your second one. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, okay. That what? Yeah, I, I would. I would add Mandela. What King learned from Gandhi was in his peaceful resistance was do what you can to be the good guy, do what you can to be the one that ultimately people root for. That acts with a sense of uh, morality and even strategy and conduct so that if there are if there is film taken of it, if there are pictures taken of it, that the viewers will be on your side rather than on the side of the oppressor. And that lesson, not only a religious lesson, not only a moral lesson, but also a political strategy lesson is one that I hope uh, folks, keep in mind. But yeah, Dad, I don't know the end game on the autonomous zones. I don't know if they stay autonomous. I don't know if they, but but I, I am, 
if you study what happens in Russia, okay, if you study what Putin has done, and I'm forgetting the guy's name, but Putin has this has this apparatchik, has this oper- operative whose background is as a theater director, and the guy uh, and the guy creates social resistance scenes. He even hires folks, and this is where when they would start saying, "Oh, they're a they're a provocative, they're they're a." Uh, um, a chaos agent or, you know, they use phrases very often like they would accuse the kids who were protesting against gun violence of this. They were projecting because he what he will do. And like in Ukraine, for instance, or another another uh, region of the ambit of Russia is they will get some folks to protest, some extremists, maybe call them Antifa. They'll get some extremists to protest and they'll protest in some, you know, not, uh, ways that wouldn't look great on camera. And then they will send in some some right wing fascists, maybe the police, maybe actual right wing fascists rather than just the rather than just law enforcement. And they'll have a little fight. And they'll say, ah, look, there's a fight. And by saying, oh, look, there's a fight, it does a couple of things. One, it gives the illusion of democracy. It gives the illusion of something that happens. Second, it sends a signal to lots of people. Well, I don't really want to get involved in that fight. I don't really see myself in either of those groups. I don't see myself as somebody who's tearing stuff down, and I don't see myself as the person who beats them up. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stay over here. I'm not gonna get engaged in the public thing. I'm gonna stay right here. And by the way, the carrot and stick that Hitler used. I'm not trying to compare anybody in this equation to Hitler, but the carrot and stick that Hitler used was the stick would be applied to you if you engaged in the public thing. If you tried to do something to get in the way of Nazi power, you got whacked. If you didn't, you got you got whacked less. And so the application of the carrot and stick to those who engage in the public square is a meaningful apparatus of power. And it makes me a little nervous. It makes me just a little nervous. It, you know, it makes my conspiratorial brain, my tinfoil hat brain, a little nervous when there are things that, that resemble too much a, uh, a Russian uh, fake activist play that have real participants, too, of course, that have real consequences, too, of course, that are about real issues, too, of course. But this idea of you have these autonomous zones, and then I read something, there's going to be some, some, some bikers who are going to come and try to take back the autonomous zones, and, and it just, it, it's, I, I worry we're going to lose the plot. I worry we're going to end up with a plot of, like, uh, like you know, right-wing whiteies and, like, lefty anarchist whiteies, like, having an argument and shifting our focus from trying to make sure that we do better with respect to equity and equality and diversity and inclusion and fighting uh, fighting against racism in our own hearts and our own souls and our own government and our own economy. So it does make me a little nervous, Pop. You're absolutely right that that one of the goals for folks who are opposed to change is to make the the majority of folks think well gee, I think I'll just stay out of this. One of, one of the most, uh, I don't know how, how I would describe it. I remember the most from my college education was I took a class by G. Homer Durham, who was uh, second command at the University of Utah, but who, as when he agreed to accept that position, having formerly been the head of the political science department, said he had the right to teach one class. So he would te- he taught one class and he got to choose who got to attend the class and I was lucky enough to be, and he had been he had been in Germany in the er- in the early 30s as a student, and he said he said to us I 
I went to people's homes and I, I met them and, and I asked them, what do they think about this person Hitler? And the universal response is, oh, oh we, we don't involve ourselves in that stuff. But I don't think it's working yet, and I hope it's not working. And just one example, over a thousand people marched yesterday from Jefferson High School to Alberta Park to keep alive what needs to be kept alive, and that is there really does have to be serious systemic change. Well, Dad, I think you ought to run through another set of headlines because we're going to run out of time. So why don't you fire away? Okay, well, let me... uh, just mentioned DDT is what is DDT's health? He, he did look he did look uh, pretty tentative walking down the ramp. This is it, by the way. This is a story in the ambit of things that I don't find important. But keep going. It, well, it it is not important, but maybe it is. It could be important if it did indicate that there was a health problem because. It's very clear that one of the major gambits of his campaign is trying to create health problems, uh, 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 health, aura of health problems around his opponents. And he did that with Hillary the Clinton. The funny too. thing is, he, he had to come. He had to, to come on and say, "Well, it was slippery, and I mustn't fall." But why couldn't he just say, "Hey, listen, I'm 74 years old. I am aware that folks, when they get on the wrong side of 70, fall down someplace, and so I'm careful not to fall down." And, and that would be the end of it, rather than everybody speculating about is there a health problem. I will. I will say something. We do talk about things that I, we say are sometimes unimportant, and I do think that you know the guy drinks water with two hands, which is weird. But it's not the first time he's drunk water with two hands, and he has a hard time with steps and ramps. And it's not the first time he's had a hard time with steps and ramps, and that's a little bit weird. But I don't. But but you know, able-bodied folks. You know, making fun of somebody's weight or making fun of the degree to which somebody's ambulatory. I don't really want to pile onto that. I agree. With I, you. I, I, I do agree think. With you. I do think that there is a. Uh, I I do think the relevance here is how much is potentially the hypocrisy is more a media critique than overall, or more of a movement critique than it is of even even Trump. The critique of him is, yeah, that he goes and makes up some story about a, uh, the sunny day somehow leaking rain onto the ramp or that the ramp was really steep when it was 11 degrees. I mean, yeah, it, it, but that only tells us what we've known before, which is that for him, truth is not a thing. It is a it is an occasional uh, something that occasionally it's overlaps occasional with what he says. In which he, uh, in which he enters by accident. There you go. <laughs> well said. And he uh, but then the big thing is, I, you know, when when Hillary Clinton had a flu, they went off uh, the right wing news apparatus went off about it and they're trying to make some issue about Joe Biden's health. So I see why people are making a big deal, of, but I'm ready to move to your next thing. The market, the market, of course, is moving up and down, made some made one of his biggest downs in recent in years. points in points. It was its not in percentage, but in points, it was its fourth biggest in history, I think. Yeah. The percentage it was not that big, but by the point it was, and and there's some speculation that one of the reasons for this is that folks who bet, who are betters, have nothing to bet on, and they are bored, and so they're going into the markets, and it's sufficient to move the markets, which is an interesting speculation. I don't know how, how you would measure that. There's some international stuff. I just want a laundry list. The EU is going after Amazon for for antitrust violations, which will be interesting to watch. 
the International Criminal Court, which started investigating the U.S. some time ago for U.S. crimes committed in Afghanistan, is getting serious about that. And so DDT has decided to sanction them by saying that the International Court, no passports, we're going to do whatever we can economically. Other international stuff, vultures, vultures in India especially and also Africa are dying out because of drugs that are fed to cattle that turns out to be poisonous to birds and that's something we should really be concerned about because as the vultures population goes down rat population and feral dog population goes up which increases the risk of human disease being communicated from those animals so that's that is of some concern to me Bolsonaro in in Brazil is pushing hydroxychloroquine and it is really interesting how a drug that might or might not be of benefit to dealing with a pandemic has become such a clear dividing political political line a political it's, line it's absurd it, it is absurd but it's happened and i don't mean as a as a as a fluffy-hearted liberal, I say it's absurd of conservatives. I mean, looking for, which I, I do think, I'm saying looking for a move that somehow the scientific conversation is like science on one side and anti-science on the other side, and that somehow that, that aligns with some degree of political divide. I mean, I, I recognize that, yeah, there's gambling in Casablanca, and that's been true about you know issues of pregnancy and more on issues of evolution for years, but it still just feels absurd in the year 2020. Yes, India is has has is having a low, big locust problem, the uh, which is scary. Ethiopia, Sudan, and Egypt are in moving towards some major conflict over the water in the Nile. And that, that potentially could have a, a water war, which is pretty scary. The Taliban promised us that they were going to cut ties with Al-Qaeda, and it turns out they have not done that, and I don't know what, what anything we can do about it. I am very concerned that there is sooner or later going to be a Tiananmen Square uh, Incident yeah, in that's Hong real. Kong when China decides that it's, it has had enough. Yeah. And jaguars in Central and South America are, uh, are becoming potentially extinct because jaguar parts are apparently, I don't know if it's because they're supposed to be a sex drive help or whatever, but the sale of jaguar parts has gone up 200 times in the last five years. Pretty scary. There's some court news. Oregon Supreme Court told the Baker County judge, you're wrong. The the governor did have the power to do what she has done. And uh, I, I think that there could be an appeal to federal court on the grounds that there was a federal constitutional question there, whether or not those churches will take it that far we'll see other court news this is not important but i think it's kind of funny 
Lenny Dykstra sued Ron Darling. They were both they were both baseball players. Yeah, the New York Mets. Mets. Lenny Dykstra, Dykstra sued Darling for libel, and the court threw the case out because it said Lenny Dykstra had done such a good job at showing that he was a despicable character, yet it's impossible to legally libel him. <laughs> so do they say what I what I think is interesting about that is was that a which portion of the elements of the law of libel were they relying upon was it it therefore it must be true or were they saying therefore it and truth is a defense or are they saying there could be no damages because the reputation exactly you, know. you, you already you already are clearly such a rip reprehensible character that what anybody says is not going to make it any worse. What's next, Bob? The, well, what we're talking about, courts. Well, yeah, I, I sent you that article about the cases. June is a month when very often the Supreme Court... That's what I was about to say. Yeah, you sends out... You've got it there. Well, no, no, I don't have it. Well, I, I will have it in front of me in just a second, but the, the sends out, the Supreme, U.S. Supreme Court sends out its some of its most momentous decisions. And there are a set of potentially momentous decisions coming down the pike. If you have, start going through them, Pop. I'll, I can also well, go through on, on abortion, on whether or not uh, you can discriminate against your employees over birth control. There's just, just a lot of stuff that uh, we, we were going to have to hope that Justice Roberts departs from the Federalist line. And by the Federalist, you mean the Federalist Society, yeah. I mean the Federalist Society. Uh, so yeah, the court could effectively eliminate the right to abortion. Uh, that case is in front of them. The Louisiana law at issue uh, in June Medical Services LLC versus Russo uh, is at the, it's like a law the Supreme Court struck down in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstead. If they allow that law, a targeted restriction on abortion providers, a trap law that superficially appears designed to make abortion safer, but it actually doesn't do it, what it actually does is make it very difficult to operate an abortion clinic. Okay, so that's that's one. Also, the court will decide if it is if federal law makes it illegal to fire someone for being LGBTQ. We just got an opinion, I think, in that very same case, saying it's not okay to fire someone because of uh, because of their status. An identity as a trans person. Uh, Trump could gain sweeping immunity from congressional oversight. This is Trump versus Mazars and Trump versus Deutsche Bank. Uh, the They involve congressional subpoenas seeking a bunch of Trump's financial records. I don't think we've seen those opinions yet, Pop. Nope. Uh, also, uh, DACA beneficiaries facing deportation. That's Department of Health, Homeland Security versus University of California. And two consolidated cases uh, involve small disputes. The issue is whether the Trump administration completed the appropriate process when it decided to wind down the DACA program uh, and what's going to happen to those DACA beneficiaries. Uh, the religious right could be one of the biggest winners of this term. By the way, shout out to Vox.com. That's with a V, not an F. Uh, Trump versus Pennsylvania, Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania, concerned whether employers with religious objections to birth control may deny health coverage to birth control. So those are some of the 
Uh, those are some of the cases. One other, uh, one other issue, Trump could gain broader new powers to fire people. That's SELA law versus CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Yeah, whether, whether or not it's constitutional to have somebody appointed that the president cannot remove. And, uh, and that is just one more example of what the current Congress, the current Congress, and it is now just the Senate, is allowing in the abdication of the responsibility of the Congress to be a check against presidential power. It's, uh, it's one of the few agencies with a single director who can only be fired by the president for cause. And the plaintiffs in the case, uh, sort of right-wingers in the case, are arguing that that arrangement is unconstitutional under their theory known as the unitary executive. Now, to be clear about that, if you saw the movie Vice, the Dick Cheney movie, they talked about the unitary executive. It is a theory that much of the right wing uh, now jurisprudential tradition, although it's not all that traditional, and the Federalist Society and certainly Bill Barr, the attorney general, subscribe to. And it's not exactly the same as saying that the president is the king, because he's still supposed to stand for yeah, election. We're moving in that direction, and which I like to say, having just last night reread the 51st Federalist paper, clearly it was probably written by Madison, could have been by Hamilton, but probably written by Madison, and Madison was the most, I think everybody recognizes he was the most important intellect behind the Constitution clearly, clearly was not something that the framers had in mind. So the Supreme Court did uh, did rule, I'm still trying to, I have not read the opinion, did rule this morning uh, that existing federal law forbidding job discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and transgender status. I'm trying to get the link to that. Uh, it was six to three with John Roberts, Neil Gorsuch joining the four liberal uh, who, who justices in the, the majority. I said John Roberts and Gorsuch. Oh, okay. Uh, the uh, uh, there is. Oh, I've got a link to it somewhere here. If I can find it, I can't. It is not. Uh, the uh, dad. Anything else? Oh, well, here's national the, news. The Bolton's book apparently is going to be coming out, in which she is reputed to say that all the time he was working for the White House. He didn't see a single decision that was made on any criteria other than how it would affect the likely re-election of the president. Not a surprise, but uh, but it's nice to have somebody from that side of the aisle saying that. The president vetoed congressional resolution that against Betsy DeVos's rule protecting colleges who defrauded potential students, which gives a pretty good idea where his heart is. While talking about DDT, he's decided that uh, they should not meet on Friday, which is Juneteenth, but rather on Saturday in Tampa. And uh, they've also decided that he's going to make his acceptance, nomination acceptance speech in Jacksonville on the same date of that uh, the axe handle murders took place in Jacksonville in 1960 when a couple of hundred white guys 
attacked some sit-in, some blacks who were saying they really ought to have the right to sit down in a in in a restaurant, which is the, the guy the guy. I I don't know if they intentionally preached this or or just what intentionally what. That, that that's where. He, was that a question? I, I I was just I just lost I just lost a couple words that you were trying to say at the end there. Oh, the the axe handle Saturday was a day yeah. when a bunch of white guys. No, I heard that. I heard that part, Pop. Yeah, you knew about that. The uh, the White House decided there will not they will not try to make an economic forecast for the first time in a long time. Facial recognition is interesting. Both Amazon and Microsoft have decided that they are no longer going to sell facial recognition to cops, which, uh, you know, oh, I'm, oh, but by, by mentioning the, the thing in, in Tulsa on Saturday, if you want to attend that, and DDD claims they've had another 200,000 people apply wanting to attend, I suspect that that figure is, is somewhat larger than the truth. But you've got to sign a waiver promising if you get covid from because you apparently contracted it by attending that event, you can't sue anybody, which just blows my mind. I did want to say that, yeah, this it did come out this morning. This is the, and it, it was the case I mentioned before. The Supreme Court rules that LGBTQ workers are protected from job discrimination. Uh, Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which makes it illegal for employers to discriminate based on sex does cover sexual orientation and transgender status. There was, of course, a real concern that there would be a 5-4 majority the other way, but Gorsuch and Roberts sided with equality and humanity. And the interesting thing about that is that if you really are a strict constructionist who says you are limited by the language in a law not by what was intended, but what actually was written down. You have to stick with that. And if you do that, then then the ruling is correct. But on the other hand, if you believe that it's okay to look at intent, I don't think there's any question there was no intent back when that law was passed. In 1964, there was not a lot of awareness of justice for the trans community. Exactly, exactly. So it, it just goes to show the fundamental hypocrisy of at least three members of the Yeah, no, constructionism has been a has been a rhetorical device. It has not been a principle. We've known that for a while. Yes. All right, Pop. Well, I think it is time for a straw in the wind, unless there's something you really got to get out before that. Well, before let, that. Me, let me just quickly mention another killer hornet has been found in Washington, oh, D.C., yeah. which is pretty oh, scary. Yeah. Good news. The nece- your necessity to get a new identification so you can board an airplane has been extended a whole year to 31st of October 2021 instead of this year. Uh, if you like to buy Burger King hamburgers, you should be aware that they have told their employees they can't wear BLM buttons. That will make me get my hamburger. Burger King, really? Because yeah. Starbucks did that and they switched it like a day and a half later. Like, oops, sorry about that. We're located in a lot of urban areas where a lot of people who buy our coffee actually care a lot about social justice. Maybe we don't want to be neutral in the face of morality. Right, right. Seattle cop maced a seven-year-old. Wow, you know, there's just some 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 cops do such stupid things, and that was a really stupid thing. Uh, 
Eight people are suing the city, alleging that they were mistreated illegally, unconstitutionally by cops in protests in Oregon. And that is covers what I want to say before my straws in the wind, of which I have more than one. All right, Bob. Well, let's get to a straw in the wind. Well, the first straw in the wind was something I mentioned earlier, that media started talking about the Civil War South as traitors and treasons. But straw in the wind, the University of Texas football team members of have told the University of Texas they want to stop singing the eyes of Texas at football games because of its racial history. And one of the one of the police one of the uh, football players said. We must learn history as well as play football. Let me tell you, that could be a major straw in the wind. Yeah, it was a show that was performed at minstrel. Sh- it was a song that was performed at minstrel shows uh, back in the day. I, that, that's the one thing I do know about its history. All right, Pop. Well, we did it one more time. We did it, and we'll be back on Thursday. Love you, lad. Love you, Dan.